The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Globally, we're seeing businesses being affected by a range of different risks, um, almost black swan events with um, obviously the coronavirus bearing down as, as one of them. This business interruption can have a huge impact on revenues in businesses um, as customers are unable to make contact with the service providers. One of Australia's largest service industries is the education sector in Australia is the third largest export earner. And certainly things like bushfires, floods, coronavirus and all the rest of it serve as a massive business interruption. So how do universities, colleges, training organisations and the like who make up this important service sector go about delivering their services where campuses can't be attended by students and where bushfires and floods prevent access? Well, enter the world of online learning. Many of you would have heard of things such as MOOCs, our massive online courses, and other forms of um, tuition that are available to students where they can remotely log in. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Adam Brimo, the CEO of Open Learning, which is listed on the ASX as OLL. Um, and Adam will be talking us through how this particular platform works and the opportunities that present itself not only in Australia but also globally. Welcome to the studio, Adam. It's great to be here. Thank you. Look, Adam, before we uh, start to unpack online learning and the opportunities that are available, um, and in particular your business, OLL, I'd like to just get a little bit about your background because uh, You've spent some time in an academic institution, not only as a student, but what, what happened after you finished your studies? So I started off um, with a, a background in software engineering and in arts, uh, liberal arts, actually. Um, and after I graduated from university, I started a couple of small software businesses. Um, I went to work uh, at Macquarie Bank um, as an analyst and at Westpac as a senior engineer. and. Um, I, while I was at university, I was also a, a teaching assistant uh, for about four years um, at the University of New South Wales. And it was through there that I met uh, my two co-founders, uh, David Collian, who's our CTO, um, who uh, studied computer science uh, together with me, and Professor Richard Buckland, uh, one of the country's renowned um, computer science lecturers. Uh, and that was sort of the start of my journey, which led me uh, to open learning. Open learning is a next generation learning system. Um, but before we start to unpack what a next generation learning system is, um, Adam, tell us about some of the incumbent systems that are being uh, used by education providers around the world. Around the world, online education has historically been seen as supplementary to face-to-face -face education. So that means face-to-face -face is the primary mode of delivery, and the online platform typically just has a whole bunch of content that the student can access and download whether that's videos and quizzes and PowerPoint slides. Now, that's not a learning experience, but it supports the face-to-face -face experience. And that's typically done through a learning management system. 
um, which many people would probably experience as more of a, a traditional enterprise system, not really designed uh, to be mobile friendly, not really designed for the current generation of students. Um, but those are really the main platforms out there. Um, over the past uh, sort of seven or eight years, a new crop of platforms has come in called the MOOC platforms, the Massive Open Online Course platforms. And these platforms are globally scalable. They have much nicer user interfaces. They focus on the student experience. Um, and in some cases, they even try and change the style of education. Um, many of them are still traditional in a sense, where you watch a video and you do a quiz. Um, but others are trying to have much more of a project-based approach or discussion-oriented approach. Um, and that's where open learning has really grown out of. Um, the idea that you can have a, a worldwide, globally scalable platform with a fantastic user experience that lifts the quality of education. So is there much research that grounds this idea of a, a, a differentiated student experience leading to a better learning outcome? Yeah, there is. Um, it hasn't widely been applied in online education um, to date, but it has been applied in face-to-face -face education. So for example, uh, what we consider those supplementary materials is passive learning. You sit there, you relax, you watch, maybe you remember something, um, and you know maybe you actually meet the outcome that you want. Now, that was helpful when it was supplementary, but uh, what we're looking at is actually a whole body of research over the past sort of 30 to 40 years in a field called learning sciences. And out of that field has come things like project-based learning, problem-based learning, collaboration, you know, uh, interactive uh, learning activities. Now, this approach actually is more, uh, I'd say, prevalent, or it started off a bit more even in primary schools, you know, alternative schools like uh, Montessori or International Baccalaureate, all these programs. And even when you do um, corporate training workshops, you'll typically have uh, sessions where there's a lot more real-world interaction, problem-solving, discussion. Um, and that has been shown to work through the research, um, but it's very hard to do online. And online platforms have only just started implementing and catching up to where educational research has been for the past 40 years. Education is a highly regulated um, sector, and in Australia, the national regulator, TEXA, is certainly um, wanting to make sure that universities, um, that students enrolled in programs are achieving the program learning outcomes. Or um, So does a system like this help the universities and colleges in meeting the regulatory requirements, or is this just a nice to have? It's absolutely necessary to meet the requirements um, that the university must fulfill. So to help the students meet those learning outcomes, in many cases, they actually have to go through an experience which is much more project-based, collaborative, where they're interacting with others, getting feedback from their facilitator, but also from their peers. Um, and what we're seeing is a huge shift towards uh, making sure that education meets outcomes um, across the university sector, across the vocational sector, and across professional development. Hmm. Certainly back in um, the days when I was studying, uh, the online learning management system just tended to be a repository with a few articles in it that you could download and print. And obviously it's taken uh, um, some, some big changes with this next generation learning um, system, which is what you guys are working on. Um, how are the universities responding to this? Are they, are they taking it up or is it a struggle to convince them? It takes time like to change things. Um, I guess that, that's the reality of, of any change that's coming. Um, but the universities do feel that there is a sense of urgency uh, behind this. 
Now, the speed at which each university moves uh, varies. Um, but what we're seeing is that there's a new area that universities in particular, but also private higher education providers, colleges, uh, training providers want to move into. And it's almost that, such that the new things, the new areas they need to move into are ones where they can apply this platform, this, this approach immediately. Um, and that usually uh, comes about in the form of micro-credentials. So looking at industry-aligned education, um, courses that fill the skills gaps in industry align with the future of work. These are areas where universities historically have not offered many courses. Um, it's usually been thought of as continuing education or you know weekend classes, but now it's becoming, or it could become part of the core business of the university. Uh, in addition to undergraduate and postgraduate, you could have micro-credentials and short courses. Mm, yep. And that's where this uh, actually can be implemented very quickly without a significant amount of change management. And it may also be the case that for some universities, holding aside the cost of the content production, the delivery of this content uh, starts to become a lot more cost effective as well. Definitely. So this is actually changing the economics of education. Um, at the moment when an, an education provider, whoever they are, is delivering a course, typically most of the costs are in the delivery, in the facilitation, in the teaching. And you typically have, you know, a, a teacher to student ratio of maybe 1 to 20 or 1 to 15 or 1 to 30, but it's a small number. Uh, this approach means you put a lot more work up front into designing the full experience. You know exactly which activities are going to be delivered through the platform. You know how those are designed. You've designed them already. Um, and what that means is that students who go through will have a consistent quality experience with much less burden on the facilitator. And you can have you know one facilitator for dozens or hundreds or sometimes thousands of students. So when done well, it can significantly uh, increase um, you know the margins for an education provider and help them reach new students. And they don't need the capital cost of expensive real estate, classrooms, and all the infrastructure that goes with it. Um, how many university and college clients have you signed up so far? So we have 62 education providers under our institution offering. That includes um, nine universities in Australia, uh, a large number overseas, uh, government agencies, industry associations, um, all delivering courses through the platform and all signed up under our software as a service model. Mm -hmm. um, of the, so you said nine universities in Australia, I think there's about 40 that operate here. So it's about 25% market share. Any of the group of eight unis are in? Yes, um, so U University of New South Wales um, is a client of ours. Uh, University of Melbourne is a client of ours as well. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay, that's pretty impressive. You've delivered this platform or developed this platform, and and um, and clearly, um, it has relevance here in Australia with your twenty five percent market share or thereabouts of universities. But you know, it's 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 clearly a global system. Um, you did an IPO how long ago? In December last year. In December last year, and raised capital to, to, to grow. Now, one of the challenges that I guess you and your team have faced is with the world's your oyster, where do you start? <laughs> yeah. So how have you approached this conundrum? Yeah, it's, it's a good problem to have. Um, now, you know, when I started the company uh, with my co-founders about seven and a half years ago, uh, what we decided to do then was to make the platform available to anyone in the world and see you know, who adopted it and how they adopted it. And that allowed us 
to, you know, for the past um, seven years, look at all the use cases that are that the platform is fulfilling. Look at all the clients that are using it um, and seeing which problems we're really solving and where our effort is best spent. Now, what we decided to do was actually go deep into a couple markets. Rather than saying we will tackle the whole world, we worked out that you know, we have a strong uh, advantage and, and we can build a strong uh, position for the company in Australia, our home market, and in Southeast Asia. Now, if you look at the learning platforms around the world, particularly the MOOC platforms, they're kind of split up by region in some ways. Uh, you have some in the US, some in Europe, some in China. In Southeast Asia and Australia, we're the only and the leading platform in this category. And that's because over the past seven years, we've really ensured that we work closely with a, a select number of institutions, make sure that we're delivering value, and then we can expand. So our approach in Australia and Malaysia, which are our two primary markets in the region, has been work closely with our partners, make sure that we understand the government regulations, the environment, the ecosystem, and that we solve the key problem there. For everyone else around the world, they can use the platform online. And we enable any education provider to go to the website, sign up and start building their courses, even with low cost plans where they can pay online. So from an education provider perspective, it's either our key markets already or people online signing up. From a student's perspective, um, we actually enable our partners or education providers to deliver courses anywhere in the world. So the largest markets for education uh, were likely the US, UK, and then it maybe filtered down into Australia and New Zealand markets like this. It's interesting you say Malaysia because Malaysia has been a bit of a beachhead for Australian universities in terms of expanding overseas. How many Australian universities have a footprint over there in Malaysia? Um, in Malaysia, I believe there's more than half a dozen now. Um, hmm. And in addition to that, Malaysia is one of the largest sources of international students um, for Australia. And there's a very close affinity between the two countries in terms of education and research exchange. Um, and I think that speaks to one of the advantages Australia has in Southeast Asia, which is that a lot of people across Southeast Asia have been educated in Australia. Hmm. Yeah. So you're making inroads into, into Malaysia and, and, and bedding down. Um, you did the IPO uh, in December last year. Uh, how much did you raise at the IPO? We raised $8 million. Yeah. And your market cap um, today, albeit... Um, in the in the grip of the coronavirus and oil prices and and market mayhem, is uh, about twenty two million dollars. You've got a few institutional investors have come along for this ride as well, haven't you? Yeah, we do. Um, in the IPO, we had Australian Catholic University invest in the company, and that's in recognition of the fact that what we've built and where we're going solves a really key problem, a core problem that a lot of these universities are facing. So Australian Catholic University um, participating in the float, I guess it's um, it's a little unusual to see a university allocate funds into a, a ASX listed company like this, particularly where it's not a spin out, you know. But um, so it may very well be that the writing's on the wall for them in terms of um, online learning being a greater component of the um, educational experience. I think what they see is that they know education is moving online and it makes sense for you know universities to enjoy in the upside of that yeah because um, as they move their core business online they want to know that the platform they're working with has strong governance which asx helps provide through that process that is well positioned for growth 
and that they can work closely with it to move their core business onto the platform and launch into new areas and new markets. So coronavirus, as, a, as an example, um, means that travel to Australia for international students to commence studies is now problematic, which means that university enrolments are likely to be down, which means that university revenues are likely to be down, which means that potentially casualized, you know, the highly casualized workforce in the university sector is at risk and it continues to flow through the system in terms of the economic impact or something like that. With a greater capacity to deliver online, does this, um, does this, how does this change the model for education delivery in the future? What are education providers realizing as a result of the crisis that we're in now? What the coronavirus has done is it's accelerated a change that was already in motion. But instead of it being something that education providers could decide when to do, now they know they must do it now. And that is a significant shift. Um, you know, Australia has been incredibly successful in recruiting international students um, from many countries, but particularly from China. And that has meant that a lot of education providers could rely on that to keep growing, to fund all of their operations. But now it's clear that that revenue stream is not risk-free. You know, it, it's susceptible to a whole host of um, a whole host of externalities, and what that means is they have to protect their core business, and they still have to grow. And if they want to do that, they have to work with a company like us, because what we enable them to do is deliver the same or better standard of education that they would deliver face-to-face -face online. Now, that's about protecting their core business. If you know you have fifty thousand students and 10% can't show up, and those 10% are actually the ones that are paying the most, then you need to make sure you can deliver that experience no matter where the students are in the world. And we have a natural advantage in that because of what we built over the years with 1.7 million students on the platform, with over 8,000 courses in 180 countries, including in China, we know that they can deliver their courses on our platform into those markets. But the other key element, which is that, okay, you can protect your core business. We can deliver that online. But what's next? And what's next is about diversifying their revenue. Because next year, there may not be as many international students as there were this year or last year. And if that revenue stream is going to fluctuate, then universities need to actually ensure that they have another stream of revenue that's growing quickly. And what we're doing there is working with universities to build out their professional development, their micro-credential offering so that they can actually unbundle their degrees, take out components of courses, package those up, and sell those to working professionals, to corporates, to government, to ensure that they can fill the skills gaps in the sector. And that's going to become even more important in the years ahead. So you have two areas um, that you know, we're seeing a lot of interest in, that you know, we're quite uh, busy working with institutions on, which are both protecting the core business, delivering their core programs online, but also diversifying their revenue into new areas. And not only are you providing the software as a service platform, which is your open learning system, but you're also providing other professional services to your university and college clients as well. What, what are some of these professional services? Yeah, so this is really the complete open learning solution. So the open learning platform itself is all about end-to-end -end high quality education delivery. 
In fact, it's really, it really enables these institutions to launch an education business very quickly. Everything from enrolling and collecting payment into courses, delivering the course, assessing, certifying, um, uh, and sort of uh, you know, promoting to, to new students coming in. Now, that's the end-to-end -end learning platform. In addition to that, we have our learning services division, which is a team of learning designers who sit down with the university and they help them redesign their courses. So they can go from a face-to-face you know, -face learning experience that might be heavily reliant on lectures and tutorials and turn that into a much more scalable online degree or short course or professional development program. Um, and that's our professional services, our learning services uh, division. On top of that, we also have our global marketplace for education, which is openlearning.com. And every month, hundreds of thousands of people go to openlearning.com looking for courses to take. And it's through there that universities and other education providers can gain exposure to a new set of students. These are students looking for shorter online programs that they're either looking for for free, just to test out a, a degree effectively, or they're looking to pay for short courses. Um, and it's the combination of these services that also sets us apart in the market. Um, we're not just a technology provider. We're a partner with the universities and other education providers, enabling them to move their core business online, helping them go through that change management process, and then also helping them promote those courses to make sure they get an ROI. Well, open learning certainly in a place with a, a really strong, we might call tailwind behind it, with, uh, you know, with a lot of movement in this sector and, and, and you're very well positioned. As I understand it, uh, open learning's the, the, the only pure play that's listed on the ASX that's in this space. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to watch how um, how, how this responds. Um, the micro-credentials is certainly a very interesting aspect as well. It's going to keep you very busy as you start unbundling these, these programs. Um, what's the news flow likely to look like out of open learning? So our focus is on attracting more education providers to the platform and making sure that usage across those education providers grows. So the types of things that um, we will share with the market would be you know, large new contracts, key customers coming on board. Um, you know, as I said, we've got a, a number of universities on the platform already. There's only so many in Australia. Um, those are key customers for us. Around the world, we've got a whole range of customers in uh, Malaysia, Southeast Asia, but there are a whole range of other markets out there where we're starting to do the groundwork and we'll probably you know, get a beachhead at some point. Um, so we're looking at, I guess, new customers coming on board, uh, large increases in usage. Um, and at a time like this, where there is, you know, a huge challenge facing the sector, people are unable to actually physically get to the colleges and the universities. Um, that's creating a lot of demand uh, for what we're doing. And what we see is that in the medium to long term, all of these education providers are looking for a better solution to deliver quality. Maybe in the short term, you know, it can be challenging for them to move that quickly. Uh, some of them will, um, but others will take time. But the key thing is, as you say, you know, we're the only one in this space uh, that's listed here. And although it may seem like there's a lot of platforms around the world, when you actually dig into it, there are very few that can get traction within the university sector because they spend so much time looking at the quality of learning and teaching, the problems that you're solving, alignment to regulations, making sure that you're delivering on the value proposition of the university. Uh, and we've done that. So we're very well placed. And I think what people can probably expect is a number of you know, 
significant developments uh, from the company in the years ahead. And we see ASX being a great platform for that. Well, Adam Brimo, CEO of Open Learning, thanks very much for, for coming along and telling us about this. It, it's certainly a sector to watch, um, the education sector, obviously, but also this, this subsector with um, the online learning platforms and micro-credentials. We no doubt we can keep uh, up to date, not only just putting you on the watch list, but also you said openlearning.com might be a, a good place to go as well and have a look uh, at the marketplace and some of the other services that you're providing. Adam Brimo, thank you very much for coming along and good luck with it. Thank you very much. It was great to be here. All right. And thank you to our segment producer, Georgina Rayson. <laughs>